Good morning. Uh, as a child, um, I perhaps uh, neglected once or twice to uh, brush my teeth. Um, and as a result, I found myself often at uh, the dentist, um, not exactly enjoying the treatment. But uh, one of the things about going to the dentist is they have a variety of tools. And uh, you would uh, start with certain tools as a dentist, and I'm not a dentist, I just have been uh, operated on by them. <laughs> but uh, they'll use different tools. They have like a pick that they'll use to try to find whether you have a cavity. Uh, and then once, once they find the cavity, um, they will start uh, drilling. Uh, and I think the purpose of the drilling is to kind of remove all the affected tissue in the tooth that have been, has been uh, damaged by, uh, I guess, the bacteria that causes the cavity. And then once they're done with that, that's when they start filling the cavity. They have like a syringe or something that puts the amalgam into it. And obviously, I'm kind of simplifying the process. Uh, but it was always a moment of um, relief when they stopped with the drilling. <laughs> they moved to instead uh, put the filling in. I knew, I knew that the painful part was done. Um, so maybe that illustration will help us think through the passage uh, we have before us today. We're talking about the law, uh, the purpose of the law in the life of a Christian. And... Uh, Last week, uh, Don pointed out, uh, as, as we were reading Romans 7, the first part, that we have been delivered from the law. We're no longer under the law. And uh, I wanted to bring some context into that by actually starting in the book of Acts. So we are in the book of Romans. We're, we're going to finish chapter 7, Lord willing. But uh, to help us a little bit with the context, I want to see, as to see, the wrong uses of the law. And again, we need to think about the law kind of as a tool that God had available to him as he is working in our lives. The law is, is a tool. And um, as, as a tool, like the drill, it has its part. And we'll talk about the role that the law has to play. But uh, eventually God will set aside or has set aside the law uh, in our lives uh, and it's no longer being used. Just like the dentist, eventually he finished cleaning out the cavity. He's no longer going to use that drill. In the same way, God no longer uses the law in our lives as believers. And we'll see in the passage, in the early days of the church, they had a hard time. It's like a dentist that just loves using the drill. And at some point, you have to take it away and say, okay, stop using it. And, and we see God working through uh, in the early days of the church and helping them see that point that the drill, the law, just had to be put away. So with that, uh, Romans chapter 15, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, so Paul and, uh, and Silas and then Barnabas were walking, working north of Israel, uh, among the Gentiles and bringing to them uh, the gospel that Jesus uh, died for our sins and rose 
according to the scriptures, and those who believed were saved. Uh, and it was wonderful. God was doing miracles. Lives were being changed. Uh, and into that, you have people coming from Judea, and they were often call, called Judaizers because they seemed to want to convert the Gentile believers into Judaism, right? Um, and they told them, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So, you know, I know you guys are excited. You heard about Jesus and everything, and that's good, but you also have to be circumcised in order to be saved. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus to go to heaven. You also have to keep the law. And part of the law was being uh, circumcised. Now, Paul dealt uh, with that particular issue. Uh, we see them uh, going through it here in this passage. We'll read some more of it. Uh, in Romans chapter 3, uh, he pointed out, uh, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And there Paul points out, you know, the purpose of the law was to show us that we are sinners. It cannot save us, right? It cannot save us uh, from our sins. Uh, let me keep reading uh, in Acts 15, verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute uh, with them, meaning with the Judaizers, uh, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they had an agreement. Okay, you know, Paul and... Um, Barnabas say you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. The Judaizers said, yes, you do have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And uh, so they said, okay, well, let's send people to Jerusalem, right, to the apostles, Peter, John, everybody that's there, and we'll, we'll ask them to tell us for sure which one it is. Do you need to be circumcised? Do you need to keep the law to be saved or not? Right? That's the, the mission Paul and Barnabas uh, we're on. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all the things that God had done with them, meaning how they've been going out, they've been preaching to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were getting saved. Um, but, and here they come again, but some of the sects of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So now it's a little bit more vague as to why they need to keep the law. So earlier, the ones who came up to Antioch said you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, right? These guys down in Judea uh, don't say you have, to be, you have to keep the law in order to be saved, but we still need to have them keep the law. So now that's kind of a different question. Okay, let's, let's, let's agree. We don't have to be circumcised to be saved. We don't have to keep the law to be saved. But now that we are saved, should we try to keep the law of Moses? Right? That's the question 
that's being put in front of them. <clears throat> and, and so continuing in verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, this new question. Should, should we ask the Gentiles who have been saved to keep the law of Moses? Right? That's the question. And when there had been much dispute, so you can tell they're not agreeing about it, right? The dentist is having a hard time pulling that drill away. <clears throat> and when there has been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So Peter is going back to the experience he had bringing the gospel himself to the Gentiles and how they were saved and how they received the Holy Spirit. And the fact God saw no difference between Jews who were trying to keep the law and Gentiles who were not trying to keep the law. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And so what Peter is saying there is, look, we've never been able to keep the law. Us Jews, we've been trying for 2,000 years and failed. Why put that burden on these Gentiles who have received the Lord Jesus? So what Peter was saying there is, no, we, we shouldn't try to make them keep the law. Right? That's not... That's not uh, something God asks us to do. In fact, we're going to be testing God. We're going to be tempting God by such an act as trying to get the Gentiles uh, to keep the law. So I think that's, that's fairly clear there. Now, Paul, uh, I believe, is addressing the same subject in Romans 6 and 7. Right? So Romans 3 and 4 are about what we would call justification. How does a person become right in the eyes of God? Right? How are we saved from the penalty of our sins and assured a place in heaven? Right? And Paul dealt with that. In chapters 6 and 7 and 8, uh, Paul deals with what we might call sanctification. How do we as believers live as Christians in this world? Right? Uh, and experiencing the blessing that God has for us here and now. Here and now. And... Um, and part of it uh, is, is we want to experience victory over sin, right? In Romans 6, Paul said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Right? We need to escape the power of sin in our lives. We want to live holy lives, right? As believers, we have that desire. God put it uh, in our heart. And that's a large part of what Romans 6 is about. But... Paul points out that in order for sin, <coughs> for sin not to have dominion over us, we also need to be delivered from the law, right? You are not under the law, but under grace. And that was a big part of the song we opened with, right? We talked about the grace of God. And um, <coughs> so that's, that's a change necessary for us to live the life God wants us to. And then in Romans 7, the first half, and this is what uh, 
Don covered last week, uh, says in verse 6, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So again, talking about being delivered to the law, uh, Don talked about the how. How are we delivered from the law? And the answer for that was through the death of Christ. Jesus represents us before God. And when he died, he, he was delivered from the law in the sense that the law has nothing to say to a dead person, right? Because we are in Christ, we have died to the law, and so the law has nothing to say to us. The law looks in the ledgers, it finds no Noad Shapiro, and therefore I'm exempt, right? I'm no longer under the law, right? The important thing to realize is all of this was necessary in order for me to be free from sin, right? That's, that's the whole process of reasoning that Paul is taking us through. It's actually necessary. Somebody has to take that drill off my teeth, right? It's not helping me live the life that God wants me to live. With that, let's go ahead and turn to Romans uh, chapter 7, starting verse 7. I'm going to grab my water while you guys are doing that. All right, see if it stays there. Romans 7, starting at verse 7, we read to the end of the chapter. I'll warn you in advance, it seems to be a little bit circular because Paul is really struggling to make that point. Uh, not that it's hard for him to, you know, reason it out himself. It's just difficult for us to accept it. So he has to repeat it again and again. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Meaning, is the law bad, right? Because we had to be delivered from the law, and we talk about the law is not helping us live the Christian life. Does that mean the law itself is bad, right? Is it sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. That sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good 
dwells. For to do is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay, so the first thing we need to understand is what is it that the law does? And the answer in this passage is uh, the law causes me to sin. I know it, it seems counterintuitive, but the law causes me to sin. An illustration people often use is uh, having like a window, and there's a sign on the window that says, don't break me. Right? How long will that window last? <laughs> Not long because of our nature. Now, this is a sign that I've been seeing more and more as I walk my dog uh, down, down the street. Uh, and it's basically people saying, please don't have your pet you know, do his thing on my lawn. Right? Understandable. Right? I mean, especially if you don't have a pet yourself, right? And you're coming out and you're finding stuff on your lawn. It's like, what's going on here? Uh, so you might put a sign like that. And, and while it's reasonable, it creates some strange feelings in me as I walk my dog by that lawn. It's like it irritates me. Now, fortunately, my dog does not understand that sign or my dog does not have a sinful nature. One of the two, because... You know, my dog hasn't gone on that lawn. And, uh, and obviously, I should, as a responsible person, try to not let my dog go on that lawn. But I can't help the fact that in my heart, something gets stirred up when I see that sign. Uh, Paul picks another example. Uh, he didn't walk his dog, and he didn't have a window. Uh, but uh, he was um, a Pharisee. Right, uh, a person who was very, very diligent in wanting to keep the law of God. And he uses a particular example here. Uh, so he said, uh, certainly not on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So, so we do have that commandment. This is, by the way, the 10th commandment. I'm sorry if it's too small to read. I hope you guys can read that. Um, so I can almost imagine Paul, Paul the Pharisee, you know, an extremely zealous person wanting to obey God, going through the Ten Commandments and going through one. Okay, I can do that. Two, I can do that. Three, I can do that. And he gets to number 10, right? And number 10 says, uh, okay, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. Okay, I'm not going to covet my neighbor's house. 
What does it mean to covet your neighbor's house? Well, you look at your neighbor's house, it's bigger and nicer than your house, or it has a nicer view. Me and my wife uh, went on our uh, anniversary you know, a few days ago to Half Moon Bay, and we're walking by the beach, and there are some nice houses by the beach. And it's not just you know, how nice the houses are, it's like, boy, look at this view that it has. You know, so you start struggling you know, with this, you, know, you shall not covet, right? And you can go down the list and find all these other things. Now, you might say, oh, you know, I'm not concerned about my neighbor's male servant or his female servant. In those days, those were items of convenience, right? I mean, you have a lot of items of convenience in your house. You have, you know, a microwave, you have an oven, all these things that make your life easier, uh, maybe a nice coffee maker. I don't have a nice coffee maker. So, you know, I might be looking at, at what you have in your kitchen, uh, his ox, well, you know, we don't have oxes in our house, but an ox was an animal to help you with your farming, right? I mean, I had to go plow by hand my field, you know, and my neighbor has an ox and he's just, you know, going. You know, I might start like, I wish I had an ox too. Uh, a donkey was a mode of transportation. You know, my son was pointing out uh, last week, look at the car in our neighbor's yard. I mean, they just got this, you know, brand new shiny Corvette. My son at first thought maybe it's a Lamborghini. Uh, I don't have a thing for cars myself, but, you know, my son was like, you know, why don't we have a car like that? Right? Now, all of these things, you know, interestingly enough, we wouldn't even consider as a sin. Right? But, but God considered those a sin. Right? It, it's literally one of the big ten. And, uh, and Paul says that uh, sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. It wasn't just the covetousness uh, issue. It was the things that leads to it. Well, you know, I really want that house, but I can't afford that house. But, you know, I have this rich grandmother. You know, what if she died right, and left me all her money? I mean, you see how this starts evolving. You know, sin leads to more sin. And all this was being stirred up in Paul, and he started realizing something about himself. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment producing me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Before he started interacting with the law in this way, he felt pretty good about himself. Right? That's what he meant by sin was dead. I thought I was a good guy. I thought I was right with God. For I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. What he mean by died is he felt convicted. He felt condemned. He realized he didn't deserve to go to heaven. Right? He deserved to go to hell. A kind of person who hopes his grandmother will die right? and leaves all his money to him. Or, or who knows the direction his mind was going, but he just started realizing, boy, I'm a sinner. Right? This, this is not going to heaven. Right? And that's what he means. Uh, and the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. It's not that the law is bad, it's that I am bad. Right? And the law is showing to me like the drill that's going into your tooth you know, removing all that bad material around your tooth. It's discovering 
just how bad that cavity is, just how much damage there is in your tooth. And, uh, and that's what the law was doing. That's, that was actually a good thing. Paul says, um, uh, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law, by showing me that I am bad, causes me to realize that I am a sinner, all of a sudden makes Jesus dying on the cross for my sins very attractive. Right? Before I realized that I was a sinner, deserving the judgment of God, Christ had no attraction to me. But once I realized that I am a sinner deserving to be condemned, Christ dying on the cross for my sins was the best news I've ever heard. Right? And so that's the value of the law because it brings us to Christ. Okay, that's what the law can do. What is it that the law cannot do? And, uh, and the answer is, is the law can't, can't help me live the Christian life. And, and that's what Paul uh, is attempting to do in verses 13 um, through 21. And uh, I don't know that I need to read the whole thing again, but uh, let me just try to, because uh, it's just too big a section to completely skip. But, but think about it in, in this view. Paul is just trying to Prove the fact that as believers, we still have a sin nature. And I know it's difficult to accept this uh, for, for various reasons. One, we don't want to think about ourselves as sinners. Right? I want to think of myself as a good guy. The other is Paul just finished proving in chapter 6 that God has saved us from the sin nature. Right? Uh, he talked about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for our sins. He died to sin as our substitute, right? Um, the only way I can be delivered from my sin nature is to literally die to it. Once a person is dead, the sin nature no longer has power over them. They're no longer slaves to sin. And just as we died to the law <coughs> by Jesus dying, we also died to sin by Jesus dying. And that releases us from being under bondage to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I don't have to do what sin tells me to do. Well, some people will go so far as saying, well, sin no longer has any power over my life. Right? I no longer have a sinful nature. Right? I mean, that's what some people will say, and they will argue that based on Romans 6. Okay? Yet Paul in this passage very clearly has an issue with sin. Right? And he's open about it. Right? He wants us to recognize it. Uh, and what some people do with that is they say, well, Paul is talking in the present tense because he just wants us, you know, want to, to make it more real <coughs> of, of the struggle he had in the past. But he no longer has the struggle. The problem with that is you lose the whole argument of this section of Romans. Right? If you're saying that Paul is not describing himself as a believer. Right? And so, and so to, to, to go with the flow of the chapter and consistent with our own experience as Christians, uh, we recognize that we still have a sinful nature. 
as believers. And that's what Paul is describing here. Um, he says, uh, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Okay. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's what Paul says about himself. He is carnal. He is sold under sin. Sin still has a power in his life. Right? For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. So, meaning, so Paul wants to do what's right. He desires to do the things that are pleasing to God, right? Like you and I, we have that desire. But he's finding he's not doing it. Instead, he's doing the very thing that he hates to do, right? Um, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he, he recognizes, he just separates the two. And he says, you know, I have a desire to do the will of God, right? And, and we identify in it the new nature that God has put in us, right? But boy, I still have this sin nature in me that's desiring to do the things that displease God, right? I mean, the, the two are still there. Uh, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to do, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law... And in this case, the word law means like a law of physics or a principle, right? It's not referring to the law of God. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members, and he, he finishes out with this guy, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? All right, so that kind of concludes that thought, just the reality of the sinful nature that is in Paul and is in me, right? And I, I trust this in all of you, right? In spite of the fact that Jesus saves us from our sins, in spite of the fact that he delivers us from slavery to sin, we still have a sinful nature that we wrestle with. Now, <clears throat> here's the good news. The good news is he answers his own question, right? Who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? Now, so we want to be you know, careful how we deal with it. He says, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He still recognizes, you know, as long as I'm here serving God in my capacity as of a Christian, you know, I'm still going to have 
the law of sin in my members, right? My body still has a sinful nature, right? How? How does Jesus save us from this body of death, right? That's how Paul refers to our body. Uh, so there's, there's three answers to that uh, question. Uh, first, let's not forget the fact of Romans chapter 6. He did deliver us from slavery to sin, right? I didn't used to have this battle in me. I used to happily sin all day long, okay? Sin used to be my master, right? And God changed that in me, right? He delivered me from slavery to sin, so now I desire to do the things that please God, right? And I have the power to resist sin. I don't have to obey sin. I can say no, right, when sin comes knocking at the door. And that is a deliverance that Jesus has provided us with. That's number one. Number two, he has delivered us from the law. So I realize I didn't quite finish my, my thought of the last section. Um, but but uh, Don answered the how, how God delivered us from, the, from being under the law. In this section, Paul is answering the why, right? Why does God have to deliver us from the law? Well, if I was still under the law, right, and every time I got up in the morning, I would see this law, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or all these other things, you know, my sinful nature would react to it because I still have a sinful nature. If you're going to hit me with the law, every time my body will react to it, right? Just like every time the dentist comes with a drill, I'm going to feel pain. It's not going to make me feel any better. Now, we acknowledge the law has a good purpose. But eventually, you have to put the drill away, right? And you have to put the filling in, right? In the same way, you know, for a believer, we've been convicted of our sins. We realize we need Jesus, right? God takes the law away. And he really does. We really are no longer under the law. I'm not on the ledger. The law does not see me, Right? I am free from the law. I don't have to try to keep the law of God. Right? Now, Paul says somewhere, when he talks about the fact he's free from the law, he says he's still under law to Christ. And that, you know, it, again, it, it's in keeping with what we learn in Romans 6, where we were told, you know, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be free indeed to sin and alive to God. You know, therefore, you know, do not, uh, you know, yield to sin as your master, right? But instead, yield yourselves to God, right? We still have the, the instructions to follow God, and we can, right? So we've been delivered from the law. I don't have to worry about what the law says. We're going to see in the next chapter that God has given us the Holy Spirit. To me, the two kind of go hand in hand. Uh, but, but we'll cover that the, the Holy Spirit will actually lead us. So instead of having the law as my guide, I have the Holy Spirit as my guide. God has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us, to give us the desires to do what God wants us to do, to, to shape our day as we're yielded to Christ. So I, I can wrap all of those as, as number two. Number three, how will God deliver me 
from the body of this death. And uh, the answer for that is he will give me a new body. God will give me a new body. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the famous uh, resurrection chapter. Paul says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. As long as I'm in this body, I'm going to be struggling with sin, right? It's just the law of sin that is in my members. I don't know what to say about it. Um, but one day God will give me a new body. There's two ways, you know, I could die and God will resurrect me. Or I could be around when Jesus comes again and calls us to himself. And then I will be raptured. And then in a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. Because this corruption must put on incorruption. This is not going to go to heaven, right? This body, I'm not going to be taking it with me. God has a new body for me, right? And that's when we will ultimately be delivered from the body of this death, right? Is when, when the Lord Jesus will raise us again. Okay, um, I thought we should take a, just a step back, you know, that, that finishes the chapter, but what is it that we should do? And I, and I think I've already started going into it, I just couldn't, couldn't hold back. Um, but uh, number one, you know, we want to think about what Romans 6 says, right? We need to present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead and our members as instruments uh, to God, right? God gave us the power to do it, right? It's not the law. I'm not going to read the Ten Commandments every morning uh, or, or any other in the 613, but I need to remember I do have the law of sin in my members, right? If I'm just going to cruise it, I'm going to lose it, <laughs> right? I need to make a mental decision. What am I going to do today? Right? Am I going to serve the law of sin which is in my members, or do I want to follow Jesus today? Right? It is a decision I need to make, or else God won't tell us to make that decision. Right? If this happened automatically, we wouldn't have a commandment to do it. Right? So God wants me to every day think about, well, what is it that Jesus wants me to do? Right? You know, or, you know, I want, whatever it is that you have for me, Lord, I want to do that. I want to do that today. Um, so that's number one. Number two, um, and that kind of comes as we were studying about the law, is, uh, is we're no longer under the law where God is judging us based on our performance, but we're under grace. Remember, it says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. It's important to realize that God is viewing us through the lens of grace. What does that mean? God doesn't treat me 
based on my performance, right? Um, God doesn't count how I've performed this past year. We're in August, right? And uh, maybe I haven't done great this year. You know, maybe I've been struggling with sin a lot. God doesn't hold that against me, right? You know, today, what am I going to do today, right? I mean, that's, that's the only thing that will affect how I will enjoy God's blessing in my life today. Now, there could be consequences, right? If I spent the last, you know, eight months putting myself in debt and spending like crazy, I will still have that debt today. You know, God won't make the consequences of my decisions go away, right? If I've been, uh, you know, involved in, in, in drugs or other activities that are unhealthy, there could be consequences that I'm going to carry to my grave, right? But God's love to me, God's, the way God will treat me today has nothing to do with how I performed for the past year or for the past 10 years for that matter. Now, it flips the other way around, and we were talking about it. I think Daniel was talking about it last week. God saved us from our slavery to sin, but we are that one's slaves whom we obey. Right? That was the message, of whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And what Paul was saying there is, yes, I'm, I am under grace, but if I choose not to follow God, right, I will experience the effects of it. And the effects of it is death. It is separation from God. I will not enjoy fellowship with God, right, if I'm not following God. I'm not going to enjoy the peace of God if I'm not following God. I'm not going to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit if I'm not following God, right? And this will be the case even if I have done an excellent job this year, I've been really walking closely with the Lord for the past eight months. But this morning I got up and I decided, you know, I just really want to go and do this thing I know God doesn't want me to do. I'm immediately going to experience death, right? The separation from God, right? But on the other hand, let's say I've been doing terribly all year long, but this morning I get up and say, you know what? I really want to follow the Lord. You know, I've been messing up. I've been suffering the results of it, but this morning is a fresh start. You know what? God is going to give you that fresh start. And immediately, you're going to experience fellowship with God, peace, the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> right? Why? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. Right? God doesn't deal with us based on our performance, but based on his own desire to bless us. Okay, um, I, think, I think that pretty much covers it, so I'm going to close it there. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that uh, we are no longer under the law, but under grace, and the fact that uh, you want us to, to live out the Christian life and enjoy all the blessings that you have for us. And Lord, we recognize your word teaches, we recognize in our own experience that we, we do have uh, a tendency to sin, and that, that uh, when we allow that tendency 
to guide us, uh, Lord. We experience death. We experience separation from you, lack of joy, lack of peace. And uh, we don't desire that. We want to experience the blessings that uh, Christ came to give us. And we know that to some extent starts by us obeying, <coughs> obeying you, believing uh, what you said, that um, we have been delivered from slavery to sin. And now we have uh, the opportunity to instead uh, present ourselves to you as those who are alive from the dead and are, and are uh, members as instruments of righteousness, Lord. So we pray for victory, victory today, victory this week, this month, this year, this life, uh, that we uh, could experience you to the full and be, bring you glory with our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.